0: Welcome to the That Super Weird Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Hart, bringing you hot takes on weird takes in faith, dating, politics, pop culture, recovery, and life. I've joined forces with my co-hosts and guests to offer laughter and honest commentary on weekly notable headlines and personal stories that are, well, super weird. Nothing is off the table, including my exes and the story that got me blocked by Dave Ramsey on Twitter. So let's do this. Hi everyone. Welcome to that super weird. I'm here with Joe Lumen. Uh, you may know her from Instagram or Twitter. She has a phenomenal voice. She speaks uh, to a large audience, a diverse audience. She was pivotal for me to notice um, people outside of the evangelical space, women that were really making a difference and making me think. Um, she also just recently launched a podcast. Um, but I'll let her take it from here. Hi
1: Joe. Hi, Christina. It's so good to be here talking to you. I know. Finally,
0: I get to see you face to face and hear your voice. I remember when we were DMing and you were sending me voice notes. I was like, oh my God, I love her accent. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Thank you. Yeah. So
0: tell us a little bit about where you're from and what you do.
1: Yeah, So I'm from Colombia. I was born and raised in Colombia. I went to school there. I went to university there. And then I moved to the US to do an internship and get my master's degree here. Um, and I am an ordained pastor, though I call myself a reluctant one. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, it's the career that I ended up investing in, so I now I'm trying to make the best out of that career, in spite of all of the negative connotations of it, and um, I speak about the intersections of Christianity and supremacy culture, and how they are deeply interlinked, and we cannot deconstruct from Christianity without ever talking about supremacy, Mm -hmm. Uh, and I I see that happening far too much, where people leave Christianity, but hold on to all of the supremacy that is embedded into it, Uh, so now they are either atheists, ex-Christians, or progressive Christians even, but the supremacy is still very much a part of the way that they show up in the world. So I talk about those intersections for the most part, and toxic theology, and then I laugh at white <laughs> men that say a lot of very <laughs> different things, and I just feel embarrassed Don't for they? them.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for being vulnerable on the internet, where people can say anything to you, and um, I see you take a lot of darts for things that you say. And but people I know are really appreciative. Um, people send me your content, they send me your videos. Uh, I loved, I have loved seeing your platform grow. Um, I feel like in the last year, I've got to watch that, um, and people really resonate with what you're saying. I, I think like all these, a lot of people. Um, when they were questioning their place in evangelical culture and wondering, oh, can I be outside of here but still be a Christian? Because that was their context. Then that opened the door for them to have an understanding of all kinds of things they had never thought about. Right. One of it being supremacy culture and uh, just everything that goes along with that. So I want to focus a little bit about you being an immigrant because... um, One of my best friends when I was in YWAM, which was a Christian missions organization, which we were dainty Christians, but uh, she um, lived in Bogota. So I went there and I absolutely love the culture. I love the food, the language. Um, So tell us a little bit about your, just your upbringing and what it was like living in Colombia and Yeah.
1: Yeah. Honestly, I was a very privileged person in Colombia, and I speak about that often because somehow, uh, because of the co-opting of language, we've made privilege a bad word. But it's not a bad word. It's just an acknowledgement of the things that we have. So I I grew up with a lot of privilege in Colombia. uh, And, you know, I... I had accessibility to people that were helping me in so many different ways. I had accessibility to schools that were private schools, a lot of different, um, any classes that I wanted to take, my mom was like, okay. Um, So I took a lot of different classes. I was able to travel quite a bit with my family and meet people from different countries. And my dad lived in the U.S. My parents were divorced and my dad lived in the U.S. So we would, my sister and I used to come to the U.S. and visit often, uh, which is something that I wanna talk about more, just how, 9-11 9-11 changed traveling for everybody, but not for me. That was my norm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I grew up with a lot of privilege in Colombia. But the moment that I was extracted from Colombia, any time that I was outside of Colombia, there was no privilege whatsoever for me. Uh, you know, I was just this the assumptions of a Colombian person are never she's smart or she's educated or she traveled or she none of that you know Um, but I grew up with all of those things and my grandparents had this farm that I talk about a lot especially now with Encanto the movie Mm oh Uh, yeah so yeah when I was when I was born I'm the oldest granddaughter my grandpa and grandma have made have eight kids one of them passed away so it's seven of them now and my mom is the oldest woman there is an oldest like son of above her, and I am the oldest granddaughter out of all of us. So we're a family of about fifty people, and we do a lot of things together all the time. It's pretty, it's wild and fun and ridiculous yeah, anyway. uh-huh, at the same I love time. That. And my grandpa, when I was born, bought a farm in like an hour and a half away from Colombia, and he built on it uh, so that we could all fit. So I've seen this farm change and more for the last you know, almost 40 years uh, to fit us all. And I grew up going there on weekends, and spending time with my cousins and laughing and hiding amongst the coffee, uh, trees and just having so much fun and so much freedom. And it was magical. Um, so that was my upbringing. There was a lot of magic, a lot of privilege, a lot of privilege that I wasn't pretty, like I wasn't aware of that. And once I became aware of it, I decided to do something about it, but, um, but yeah, just a lot of fun, magic privilege. And of course, a lot of trauma that, you know, <laughs> we were not aware of either and that we're now of course. kind of dealing with, we've been dealing with for a long time.
0: Um, and then were you raised in church there? Were you part of church growing up or how did that come into play, religion come into play in your life?
1: Yeah. So... Christianity is hegemonic in Colombia, uh, in all of the West, really. But in Colombia, everybody is raised inside of hegemonic Christianity. So whether you go to church every weekend or not, and most people don't, most people are just uh, cultural Catholics. Uh, you understand all of the narratives. You've heard all lot of stories. Everybody has Bibles in their homes. I had a Bible as a child, and my mom would read it to us. Um, but there was not this Christian every weekend in church commitment until I became a teenager. And my dad... Moved to the U.S., as I said, uh, for a job and he met a pastor, became a Christian, like a Protestant and um, we, my sister and I became Protestants with him and there, as a teenager, I was 14 years old when that happened, this, like, every weekend at church became a thing and then reading the Bible every day and praying every day, so it was doing very formative years for me that Christianity, uh, Protestant Christianity became a, a bigger thing, uh, of course, with all of the anti-Catholic rhetoric mm-hmm. that comes with it mm-hmm. it's like oh growing up i i wasn't given the real christianity but now we have the real christianity uh so a lot of criticism toward catholicism even though it was a lot less oppressive for me i mean it was oppressive in the way that it was hegemonic but i wasn't aware of that uh it, i just thought everybody grew up this way now i am aware that that's that's oppressive in itself Um, But yeah, so it was then. And so when I moved here after college, I came to do an internship at a church and to get my master's degree uh, for the purpose of being faithful, you know, quote unquote faithful to my faith and to being able to Uh, Because the the American Christians are the ones that have the American, by U.S. American Christians are the ones that have the right Christianity. So I was here to learn to take it back to Colombia and Mm -hmm. transform Mm -hmm. my country into a Mm -hmm. Christian nation, whatever all of that means now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I can understand that because in YWAM, my friend who was from Colombia, um, that was very much part of why she was there in yeah. in YWAM. And and she felt a lot of pressure. And then when I went to visit her, we went to this church that was the, I forget the name, but it was like a 12. It's like oh, the, I know. Yes. Yeah. Huge.
1: Carlos. Huge. Yeah. Carlos. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, so
0: yeah. I, it was a lot. It was,
1: it was. I think it's called a charismatic mission or something
0: yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see how it was part a lot of, of the culture and and just that was like her understanding of what it was to be a good Colombian to come back to her country and do this. And of course, YWAM fed into that a lot until, you know, we had conversations after. <laughs> yeah. This was maybe like 10 years ago. But um, so then you came to the U.S. and you got your master's here. Yes. In divinity? In divinity?
1: No, my master's is in ministry and theology. From oh. Nazarene. Okay. Like. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I did that. I mean, I got un- ordained uh, through Oral Roberts University. So, I had to take all these classes at uh, which is.
0: Wow. Yeah. And then, how did your experience here? What was the biggest culture shock you experienced or misconception that you experienced about being Colombian? Coming here with all of that education, all of that knowledge, all of that culture, all of that experience, and then coming into the United States, into the Uh, getting a degree uh, and being at a Christian school?
1: Yeah. So it was always, first I was often the only woman in all of these spaces. Um, There Mm -hmm. was usually one or two of us. And there was always, I remember being in a class once and I was the only woman in that class. And we were talking about different biblical texts and, we were specifically talking about Philippians in this one. And Philippians was one of the books at the time that I had studied the most um, because I liked it. I really liked the book of Philippians. And not anymore, but I used to. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love how honest you are. <laughs> and so we were having this conversation about Philippians and they decided to divide us into groups. And so we had all of these groups. So it was five men and me in the one group. And, and then we were going to come and share about our findings. Um, so we divided into four different groups or five different groups whatever and i started talking and this man who was a pastor at a church at the moment and um he was probably a little bit older than me he said something that was inaccurate in in the greek it was an inaccurate translation of the greek and i said that's actually not accurate and he said see this is why women should not be in these classes (gasps)
0: oh my goodness
1: i know and i just sat there and what was the most annoying for me is that the other man said nothing nothing mm. and i was like well i mean i was shocked first but then i was like no actually i'm right so here's the greek is <laughs> <laughs> <It's> the actual <laughs> greek word there and you're translating it wrong and he was so annoyed by me just by my presence he was annoyed and the thing is that while in many spaces they will not say anything you can feel that people are annoyed that you are there you can feel that you're not welcome, that they are questioning why are you here, uh, but just the way that they say things. And the assumption is always that I am, um, I talk about this a lot, how I am met here in the U.S. with this assumption that I am ignorant, with the assumption that I, I should be so grateful that I am in this country. And I'm grateful to be alive. <laughs> like, I don't have to be mm, grateful to be yeah. particularly in this country. I'd be grateful anywhere that I lived. It's not, it's not like the U.S. has made my life better. Uh, in fact, in many ways, it's made it, worse and harder uh but this assumption is always like oh even when i would speak they'd be like why is your english so good your english is so good and i'm like why is your expectation that it wouldn't be just because i have an accent just because i speak right. another language it's actually disappointing that you can only speak one language so there is that um so there is always mm-hmm. this assumption that i i don't know what i'm speaking about so I have to bypass all of these different biases that people have in regards to immigrants, especially immigrants of the global South, because they don't say those things to French men that are walking around in New York City,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know? So I have to bypass all of these biases and be so deeply aware that you think I'm ignorant at all times. And even pe- like, I notice it in ways, I and mean, small little ways. So I say something and they go, actually, it's it's more about this and this and that. And I was like, I know that.
0: And you're like, I I know know that that. because I'm the one who brought it up. And I'm the one actually teaching this. I'm
1: like, I know that you did it. And they don't do it to add to the conversation. You can tell the difference when people say like, oh, I learned this. And, you know, I learned this much about it. And I was also thinking about this other thing. No, you can tell when it's about letting you know, like, oh, actually, you don't have the whole story. Actually, you don't know the whole thing. So I was met with someone. Someone met me that way yesterday and I was talking about Christian supremacy and how it has existed all the way from, you know, the third century, second century, even on. And they said, oh, you don't even have the half of it. It's before that. And I was like, it couldn't, it couldn't be before that because it didn't exist. Christianity didn't exist. <laughs> but what they, I said, what do you want to say is that there was syncretism between Judaism and mm-hmm. Egyptian theology or Soroastrian theology. Um, but syncretism is not the same as, you know,
0: supremacy and oppression—they are two different things. And he goes, "No, you don't even know the half of it." And I was like, "Oh, okay, well, cool, okay." Yeah, yeah, that's so good, Joe. That's so relatable. Um, uh, as I come from a Persian family, my my everyone is an immigrant. I was born in Los Angeles, um, but people presume Persians are Muslim, right. and they presume. Um, like I have to accept jokes. Like, uh, uh, you know, I had a, I had a friend's husband who would call me ISIS when I would walk in for like Thanksgiving meal and everyone would laugh and I would laugh because I didn't know that I, I had a choice to not, you know what I mean? Like I was just, that's was, yeah. And now I think about it and, and when someone brings up Zoroastrian, like, uh, the religion, I'm like, thank you. Like you have a knowledge of Middle Eastern culture being something that, that is a lot deeper and historically goes back a lot farther than people presume or know. Cause they regurgitate information that they just are told. And that's that. Right. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about the bias and the assumptions that you you're navigating. and and I think people don't understand why they do things that they do or say things that they do. So what would you say to someone to help them understand what is bias and how to learn that how to learn that they uh, believe or are walking in a bias and and how to how to think differently?
1: Yeah. So we all have them, right? We all have biases, all of us. And even those of us who try to be absolutely conscious about them, we still have them. The goal is not to not have biases, but to question those and to be aware of them. So the goal is awareness, not, uh, you, you cannot remove them from our lives. Our brains do them without even our cognitive uh, prompting. You know, they, the biases actually exist in the in the back. They don't exist in the prefrontal cortex. So it's not something that you pull up consciously. It's something that is pulled up by your brain without your conscious prompting so what you have to do is to start asking yourself like, what is it really that I believe about this people group or, or actually recognize your responses to certain things What, how do you respond to a woman of the global majority a woman that you can see is an immigrant or black or brown or Muslim uh, how do you respond to her speaking in an authoritative way how do you respond to her speaking in an assertive way because when we are assertive we are told that we are uh, abrasive but when white men are assertive they are like oh my gosh such a good leader such a good leader and I am Mm -hmm. this is not against white men I wish we were all met like they are met I wish we were all met with that kind of, because that is privilege in itself, the way that they don't have to prove that they are assertive and not being rude. And sometimes they are rude indeed, and they're like, no, it was just assertive. No, he wasn't, he was rude. And so I, I even noticed it in myself. I, In this pandemic, I've gained weight because... Yeah, it's a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've gained this weight and I have noticed myself holding judgment for myself because I've gained weight during a worldwide pandemic, trying to wrangle four kids and a job and a life. And right. I remember I remember sitting being like I right now I'm telling my own body, like I'm looking at myself in the mirror and being like, Oh my gosh, I'm so fat. Why is that? That's fat phobia. Because it's normal mm-hmm. that I gained weight. It is mm-hmm. okay. And my body is perfect. It's perfect in any shape or form. What we are looking for is health. And I'm healthy right now. You know, mm-hmm. I have a healthy body weight. I'm healthy right now. Um, so recognizing that those biases are inside of me too. Like we are, none of us, we live in a culture of supremacy. That's that's the culture that we all live in. Therefore we have all been indoctrinated subconsciously into all of these different ideologies about different people groups, both positive and negative. Why do you why do we give white rich men the benefit of the doubt so quickly? So quickly. Right. We find right. ways to excuse their behavior so quickly. Those are implicit biases, positive implicit biases. You know, the reason why they get a lot less criminal charges than the rest of us is because of positive implicit biases that we have toward them. And mm-hmm. so we all have to question those things and say, well, I'm not, that's why I don't believe the justice system is helpful, because if a judge, it, and even having a jury, they are conscious about what kind of jury you're going to have, and why, like, lawyers and prosecutors are trained to be able to pick the right jury, what is that? It's playing into the implicit biases. It's absolutely playing mm-hmm. into the implicit They know that. uh Don't
0: say that. Yeah,
1: exactly. So we all have to just be conscious and aware of them, and so that we don't cause harm. And particularly, center the need to. Uh, dismantle negative implicit biases about entire people groups. Negative implicit biases about trans people. Negative implicit biases about fat people and about disabled people and about poor people. That's a huge one. Negative implicit yeah. biases about poor people thinking that they are all lazy. No, poor people. I'm poor and I'm not lazy. I, I just live in a, you know, yeah. we're living in like late stage capitalism. Being poor, it's kind of part like scores for the park. For, mm, or for the
0: yeah. Course. Yeah. Whatever. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You have so much wisdom. I could listen to you all day. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I'm so excited for your podcast because I feel like it's such a education too. Um, so when it comes to immigrant women, I know, uh, that there's a lot of bias in, into, um, whether or not if they speak out, it's like they're defiant or they're loud or, or something like that. Why do you think, immigrant women are treated differently than white women when with using their voice here in the United States.
1: Yeah. I think that the assumption is that we are Honestly, a lot of it is rooted in the assumption that we're ignorant. Um, and so it's mm-hmm. like, well, you're ignorant, so you have to yell because you don't understand what's happening. And it's like, no, I understand my oppression well. Um, <laughs> I understand <laughs> it well. And so there is this assumption. And also there is an expectation from patriarchy, uh, for, not for all immigrant women, but some particular immigrant women, um, like not for black women, for instance, but for for black women is this over-sexualization, like you are supposed to yeah. be this like sexual person. but for for Latin American women, uh, and I think that for like for Muslim women is different too, but for Latin American women, I, I know that the expectation is your job is to be hot. Like yeah. you're supposed to be hot. You're supposed to entertain us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but white women are not expected to entertain in the same way. Uh, Mm -hmm. white women are the women that it's like this that saying right like there are women that you bring to your mom to to introduce to your mom that you marry there are the women that you marry and the women that you have fun with I feel like brown and black women are the women that they want to have fun with and I don't mean Mm -hmm. that just in romantic relationships I mean yeah possible realm like you want to have fun with us you want us to work for you you want us to do things for you you want us to carry burdens for you you want to like my mom says this and i love that she says they want us to be their mules Mm. that's all they want and the moment that they see us as humans that have opinions and that have ideas and that are smart they are like "Mm, you forgot your place in the world you are our mules you're supposed yeah. to carry burdens. You're supposed to carry things. And I feel like that is the case for brown and black women in the world. And also this whole hyper-sexualization and hyper, like, you're supposed to be sexy and hot. That's mm-hmm. your job. Entertain yeah. us. Work for us. Do things for us. Is I said it today, actually, on Twitter. And I said, um, we are treated like, at best, we are treated like supporting cast. That's at best. But most of the time, we're just extras in their show. But white women are allowed to be protagonists. White women are allowed to be, you know, a main character. But not us, especially if we are immigrants. Especially Mm -hmm. if we are immigrants. More so, it's like, you don't even speak English well, which we do, by the way. Um, So you're supposed to be an extra in this show. And don't forget your place. That is the way that we are met. That this world, this life, this existence is not supposed to be about us. And when we make it about us, very quickly, their biases, He's not even conscious most of the time. Their biases go, who do you think you are? This show is not about you. Go back to your place. You're too loud. You're taking too much space. And you're just an extra here. Sit down. And so that it bothers yeah. them. Like their supremacy gets bothered by yes, uh yes. taking up space.
0: Yes. I've, I That's so true. That's so true. And I always say this. I'm like, nobody understands immig- the fierce love of immigrant mothers who come to the United States you have four children you got an education you work you are this big voice doing all of this dismantling you know uh you you do so much and people don't understand that Immigrant women, they come here and they do everything. And they're often from countries where they are also supporting the husband as a supporting role, ensuring they're well taken care of, doing everything for them. And they will still do all of that while also leading in every capacity in in their life. And uh, it's so so ironic that immigrant women are viewed or uh, black and brown women... um, they are viewed as the supporting role when really they are the ones that are leading in industries. And you can see that. Um, So I just want to point that out because it's such a crazy... Misconception.
1: Yes, and we're leading in so many different realms. Yes. Uh, And Mm -hmm. I love that you said that the love of immigrant moms, because you don't have to be a biological mother to have that love, because we are not fighting for us. We're fighting for a better world for all of our descendants, and that includes your white kids. That includes Mm -hmm. the white American kids that have no idea that all of these things are happening behind the (laughs) scenes. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I am fighting for a better world for all of our collective descendants because we have that love of a mother that is crying so that our children don't have to live inside of oppression, none of them. So that none of them have, have, have to experience what oppression does to both the oppressors and the oppressed, to how it affects our psyche and makes us believe the wrong things about ourselves and therefore not be able to have healthy relationships with ourselves and with one another. I don't do this because I want people to look at me and be like, oh my gosh, she's probably smart. I don't even a rat's ass what they think about me. I do these so that we can have a world where everybody's met with dignity. Because we all deserve to be met
0: with yeah. dignity. That matters. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. And then um, we haven't even taken that context into the uh, American church, evangelical church spaces. So now we—it's t- like you're just already you get on this soil, and this is like what you're thrown with, right? And how how is that more extreme that you see in the white? Uh, evangelical American church.
1: Yeah. So, yes, it's exactly what you said. It's extreme in the white American evangelical church because the assumption that white American evangelicals come with is that they are the most special of people. They are yeah. the most um, chosen of people and chosen in this sense of the favorites, of the one true divinity. There is this one true God and it is their God. And that God that is their God is has chosen them to be above Everybody else in the world and to be emulated um, the way that they live, the way that they choose their lives, the way that they have marriages and relationships, the way that they parent, the way that they uh, believe we should show up in the world. They believe that they should be emulated. They are to be the standard of existence for everybody else around them regardless of cultural differences regardless of anything uh, so they dismiss the fact that their reality is so far removed for so many of us like n- so many of us not, not to mention lgbt like lgbtq people are the most obvious ones but culturally mm-hmm. we are not the same as them either so They have this expectation that to have a good life, to have a healthy life, you have to be like them, but they don't realize that for the the vast majority of the world, to emulate them and be like them is actually to deny everything that we are, and it's the most unhealthy thing that we can do. And I would argue that not just for everybody outside of their paradigm, but also for them. That's why they fight so much. That's why it's so hard. That's why they feel all the time Mm -hmm, like they have to mm -hmm. fight to be able to even exist. Like, it's, they talk about like this faith is not supposed to be easy. Well, then why are you in it? Like, why? Faith is supposed to make you, to make your existence easier indeed. And so Mm -hmm. they have this entire paradigm that they don't even fit into. And the reality is that they've created these boxes that are narrow and small and only benefit the absolute most privileged people in society and by that i mean Mm. white men cisgender rich americans or europeans um but specifically americans at this point and they have these boxes that only benefit these people so the 0.1 percent of the population and then they ask everybody to have a good life you have to emulate and try to fit yourself in those boxes which i've talked about that they're their invitation is to maim parts of ourselves so that we can yeah. be healthy that's how ridiculous it is mm. you have to cut yeah. pieces of yourself maim yourself so that you can fit to be supposedly supposedly healthy and the problem is that they they say it's not like the difference between just supremacy and christian supremacy is that christian supremacy hides behind hides behind this is not our opinion this is god's mandate mm. So how do you argue with God? Their God, that they believe is the God. So it's like, no, we're not telling you what to do. God is telling you what to do. They hide behind that to be able to not be accountable for the nonsensical supremacy that they've bought into. And there is no arguing with that. Because God said. So there is no arguing. God said that we have to maim ourselves to fit into their boxes. So what do you do? You maim yourself.
0: Yes. I saw that with my mother, my own mother, you know, her, when she converted and it just, um, being a Persian woman, uh, older Persian woman in a, in a Protestant church. Uh, I had, I had good experiences too. I don't want to say I didn't, but this is very real. It's just very real. And she didn't want anything to do with her culture anymore. She was an American and she was a Christian and, um, that was that shifted a little bit the the longer she was a Christian she wasn't as radical but it, it was it's just very real what you're saying and you break it down so well so people can understand okay, this is what this is the pieces that we're dealing with these building blocks and this is what needs to change uh, and so I have seen so you'll say one thing and man, people primarily, White cisgender men into church, but uh, a lot of different people, they really go after your appearance. They go after things that because they cannot argue with what you're saying. Um, why do you think you're such a threat to these men, primary men? But why do you think you're such a threat to yeah. these people?
1: yeah on the internet (laughs) yeah they do one or two things they uh, they go for ad hominem attacks like we're going to attack your appearance or we're going to attack you know something like that or your ethnicity or whatever or they misrepresent what i said they literally lie about what i said to be able to justify their their anger so they say like the thing that you say the most is i didn't say that and i'm like because i didn't because you guys misrepresent my words so vastly that I have to say often that's not what I said. You're misrepresenting me to be able to justify your violence toward me. Really, because a lot of the times yes. it's just rather violent. It is. it is exactly what I said before. It's this subconscious. You don't know what you're talking about, and you have forgotten your place in this world. Wow! I don't understand. It's so true it's, that
0: that's what it comes down to. Yeah,
1: I don't. Think, I that can it's totally not, under. Yeah. And when I say that to them, they'd be like, no, that's not how I feel. And I'm like, consciously, that's not how you feel because you haven't even taken the time to be able to see right, that. You no I'm idea. subconscious. <laughs> okay. you know, so consciously, you're right. Consciously, you're just so upset about me, but you can't not even tell me why you're so upset. You cannot mm-hmm. tell me because you haven't explored it. Because the moment that you explore it, you actually have to sit down with really ugly, dark shadows inside of you that you don't want really to admit to because it's gross. And the most important, see, supremacy culture does this thing. And it's like it, it, it really um, gives itself to dichotomies, to, to dualism, right? So you're either right. good or you're bad. But there is no in between. Right. So right. if they have to Walk admit away. to themselves that they have all of these bad thoughts about me, then they are bad people. And that's not true. Yes. People who right. have been indoctrinated into really bad implicit biases about people that look like me, but they are not bad people and they can admit to those biases and do something about them. But doubling down on them makes you an asshole. Yes. Yeah? And I
0: want to, I want to, I want to go, I want to take this and talk about compassion because you have so much compassion and I have seen it and I've seen you interact with people and I've seen you um, um I've seen conversations where people realize their bias and, and these are these are angry people they realize it and there is something where you express compassion to them and that's like the last thing that they're expecting because you were just in this duel <laughs> right. so to speak right? right um but the thing is is once you once you accept and understand that I can, do or think bad things and not be a bad person, there is a freedom that comes with understanding and learning and apologizing that is not really found or I didn't find that in the evangelical church because there was so much shame. And if you made an error, it was about like, it just wasn't in, it wasn't something that you could recognize as being a gray area. And that didn't mean that you're a bad person and, And so many people, they suffer under the shame, and so they will never come out from that and understand what you're saying. Right. Um, So how do you think compassion fits into play when when you're dealing with people who could be aggressive about
1: um, something towards you? Yeah. Well, it's hard, (laughs) but... yeah. I work really hard at at, at not dehumanizing anybody because the moment that we dehumanize somebody we are indeed the oppressors um, so I work really hard at not dehumanizing people, I am going to attack your thoughts, I am going to challenge these ideologies that harm people but I'm not attacking you, I don't have anything against you and I actually recognize with these ideas where these ideas are coming from and for the most part they are coping mechanisms, maladaptive coping mechanisms, absolutely, but coping mechanisms nonetheless, which means they are coming from from trauma, they are coming from harm that was caused against them, and they are usually generational. Uh, we are not talking about supremacy as something that you know started last year and um, that some 20 year olds are just coming up with. No, we're talking about a system of ideologies that has been. Um, kind of input into people's brains for the last 500 years. And we now know with epigenetics that a lot of these things are passed down like genetically to our descendants. So when we talk about... uh, for instance, women having this expectation that we are strong and we have to be strong for the family, especially women of color, women of the global majority, um, that we have to be strong for our families, that we have to take on a lot, that we have to tolerate a lot of abuse, that we have to, that is, uh, resting is unacceptable for us. Resting yeah. is, I don't know how many women I know that yes. when they're on vacation, they organize the hotel room. Um, it's most women that I know. They, yeah. they actually yeah. meet, like tidy up the hotel room. On yeah. vacation mm-hmm. including me mm-hmm. I do this mm-hmm. and so, yeah but my state, are, my aunt does it too yeah yeah uh-huh. that's a that's a generational pattern of patriarchal oppression that has mm-hmm. made us be that that is the expectation of us so we keep passing this down over and over and it's no different with supremacy culture white men have been told that they are the main character of this story and they tell their sons that they are and they're The moms tell their sons that they are the main character in this story and that everybody else should be bending toward them. And do they say that in those words? No. But that's what they are communicating in the way that they treat them, in how they don't hold them accountable, in how they don't make them accountable people. While accountability is highly expected of you or me or any black woman out there. Because we cannot every, when people tell me you don't even know what you're talking about, I was like, you have no idea how much thought goes into every single word that comes out of my mouth. Because I know it will be scrutinized, the magnifying glass by twenty three thousand people. While white men say the most nonsensical things, and nobody bats an eye for most of the time. Yes, my words are scrutinized, so I don't say things that I don't mean. I literally yes. mean them. So these, yeah. then, when black women say, and they've taught us these very well, when they say, I said what I said, that's what that's coming from <laughs> is yeah. that you have yeah. no idea. I said what I said because I was thoughtful. I don't speak out of my ass. I know exactly what I'm saying because I know how you meet me. I know the energy with which you meet me. So uh-huh. I don't even know what we're talking about, but anyways, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, you know, no, so it's, it's so good. It's racial, so, yes.
0: Yes. Even on Twitter, you know, I say I say a lot of things, but I know exactly what word I am using. And oh. people m- m- people will respond or some guy will say something. And I'm like, no, it's this. And I'll, I'll you know, use five yeah. words. And those are pointed and they're like, oh. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. We know exactly what we're saying. 100%. Especially on the internet. Like, yep. word for, you know, and... So I kind of I'll, i kind of let, enjoy sometimes like pointing out their own ingor- ignorance. <laughs> I, but I
1: make <laughs>
0: videos. Um,
1: I make yes. videos for TikTok and I make these three more videos like packed with so much information so much so much and sometimes it's hard to make those videos by the way it takes it takes a lot of work to make those videos especially when you know that your words are going to be scrutinized to no end so i just made a video recently about narcissism the connection between narcissism the the actually the actual personality disorder and christian supremacy and so i was talking about that and i said uh, white christian americans usually believe that they are the chosen people of god and not in the healthy way that jewish people believed mm. i said that i mean i knew and i didn't want to make the video again yeah you know right right you I know to that. i knew <laughs> and, and sure enough the people were like, they were like what do you mean because jewish people too and how do you think palestinians are going to feel about that and i was like ah i knew it I knew Uh that you would Uh hold on to that. I didn't say all Jewish interpretations of that idea are healthy. I said, I was talking about this ancient idea. And even for some modern Jews, these Jewish people, this idea of being chosen has nothing to do with supremacy. It has to do with, we were chosen for a purpose, not we Mm -hmm. were chosen above everyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, but I I knew, and I was like, I don't want to repeat it, but I know I was already, I was ready. Yeah, you're
0: ready. You know, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I so relate because I choose, I'm like, you know what, maybe I'll say this on Thursday instead of today. I'll, you know, like you just know (laughs) (laughs) what you're going to have to deal
1: with. Yeah. Um, sometimes I say, and people tell me, like you say that for clicks and I'm like, I really don't, but do I say things to be making people think? Yes. Yes, You're making people
0: think. And I appreciate that. Exactly. Yeah. And I, mean, I know that and I can tell. I'm like, oh, woman to woman. I know I see what Joe is doing. And it works. And people then just, discuss and it and it expands their minds. And yeah.
1: and, and this projection too. Cause I like you do it for clicks. You do it to get more followers. I'm like, you're just like projecting a therapist. what you do. Yes. I do it to make people think because the moment that I face it, it's like throwing a bucket of cold water in their face. (laughs) You know, I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I'm throwing a bucket of cold water, but not because I want your, like, it's not because I want your attention because I crave your attention. It's because I need you to stop harming us. Like, I do want your attention. Yeah,
0: and you get so much crap. Why would you willingly... It, it, it's not like glorified to to do anything, no. quote, quote unquote, for clickbait <laughs> if you're getting crap for it, no, no, right? You're not like posting a generic thing that you know everyone's going to like. That would be, right? So yeah, uh, which is why it's been so fun to see see your growth and see people respond to you. I love it. It it makes me so happy because people are actually discussing things and I wow. learned so much and, and it's very cool to see on the internet. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the deconstruction space. Um, So you were one of the first voices, I think, that I trusted uh, in that I connected to the deconstruction space. I guess you could say internet space. Um, And I know that that's probably very ignorant of me because there's so many voices, so many people, but um, I trusted you as a woman of color, an immigrant, and you were so, so helpful and compassionate, but very... You, I could see how you really took into account what you were saying and how it impacted people and the, and someone who was disabled. Like you spoke to that person, asked them how your words impact them. Like that's what you did and you created that community and I really respected that. How do you think that these assumptions and biases have played into the deconstruction space as well because none of us are immune right so that you know that that comes up and everywhere but specifically have you seen it there
1: yeah, I have, a lot. Let's just start with the fact that deconstruction was about deconstructing from white supremacy, it was not about Christianity. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Christians, white Christians, took the word and made it about a specific Christianity without acknowledging that deconstruction void of supremacy culture, void of deconstructing from supremacy culture, is going to yield a supremacy secularism. Secularism. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I see that a lot. I see a lot of of uh, anti-Semitic narratives, Mm -hmm. a lot of anti-Semitism in people that talk about, like like they are talking against Christianity, not realizing that what they are saying is actually anti-Semitic too. Uh, A lot of Islamophobia that has not been checked either. A lot of the same supremacy culture. The reason why the main voices inside of the Christian deconstruction world are white, cis people is all of these biases are playing into it. And the same people that were centered inside of the Christian evangelical toxic church are being centered in the deconstruction world as well. And a a lot of us who are in different marginalized and different intersections of marginalization have been screaming like, Hey, you're doing the same thing. You're replicating the same thing. And they, they don't care.
0: Um, They get aggressive. I feel like, or I've seen them get aggressive online and it's, and it's wild to witness because and i always i always i observe a lot right and so that's why i trusted you because i could see what was going on a little bit and i was like why is everyone white <laughs> and why is there like that is that are the are these big voices that people keep telling me to go follow and go listen to yeah. and i'm not <laughs> saying anything that's about it. them i don't know much about them but yeah. i'm just noticed that this exists. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the thing is that my deconstruction, the people that I started following were not Christians or ex-Christians. I was following mostly black, queer, um, immigrant, Muslim, Jewish people that were talking about their experiences. And because of what they were saying, I started deconstructing a lot of things that I had been told about my religion. So when people ask me, where are, what are the accounts that like the social media accounts that have been the most meaningful to you? I cannot mention to you one one deconstruct like Christian deconstruction account, but I can point you to Asia Barber, and I can point you to Lisa Renee Hall, and I can point you to yes. a Lock, and I can point you to all of these different people in different marginalized identities. Speaking of the marginalization, that blew my mind. They absolutely mm-hmm. blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so one big tell for me is if you are listening to Christian deconstruction accounts, and they never mention supremacy culture, they never flat out mention white supremacy and how they are divesting from that white supremacy. They never mention queer phobia and how they are divesting from that internalized. And that one is more normal because LGBTQ communities have been really co-opted by white LGBTQ people. But uh, if they are not mentioning supremacy culture as a whole and how they are divesting from it and who are the voices that they are learning from. So this was an issue I had with, with different people that they were like, have you read his books? And I was like, yeah. And honestly, I'm a little bit disappointed that there were no citations, that they were not pointing to who they learned this from. But it was like mm-hmm. they had this wild revelation from the Lord. <laughs> I was just, yeah, you know, like, nice even even
0: yeah, 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 it's the same thing, Ex Christians, and so they're like they're just like anointed ex Christians. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like it so just came ridiculous. to me. I was just sitting uh, there and it
1: just came to me this wild this revelation that we have to seize the means of production. And I'm like, that's indigenous <laughs> wisdom that, you know, then became Marx, uh, not Marxism. Well, yeah, Marxism. Uh, but if you're not going to mention the actual roots of all of these ideologies and you're going to pretend that it came from you, we're literally talking about white supremacy, appropriation, and we're talking about the exact same thing. We're talking about Christians appropriated Jewish theology for the purpose, not just Jewish theology. Theology, by the way, you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. theology and all of these other yeah. theologies for the purpose of becoming powerful. And you're doing the exact same thing, but with secularism without taking into account Christian hegemony and the supremacy of Christianity that is inside of you embedded that you have not dealt with yet.
0: Yeah, I, 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 can, I have seen exactly what you're talking about.
1: Because of how we are conditioned, um, for those of us who are, who are in certain different intersections of marginalization, we don't start talking until we know what we're talking about. So when I left the church, it's, I sat down for two years, quiet, quiet reading. I couldn't sleep. I was reading a lot. I started reading for the first time theology that wasn't approved theology, theology from the margins, books from the margins. I started buying, consuming a ridiculous amount of information that was from other perspectives. And when I finally decided that I wanted to start sharing online, it was after two years of sitting quietly, two mm-hmm. years of dealing with me. And when I did, I wasn't trying to start a business or a new career. I just wanted to find like-minded people. I just wanted to have these conversations publicly and say like, can we talk about these things together? And I that, that's it. But I see far too many people that left the church today and tomorrow they started an account to be able to be centered as a leader of the deconstruction community. And you can tell that they have not taken a minute to be quiet with themselves. And that's mm-hmm. important. It matters.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. It's like, we've all hit rock bottom because because for one reason or another, and you take that time in that stillness. And the, and someone asked me, some a uh, uh, young girl, she was asking me, she was like, I feel very chaotic and I just need to be still. And then after the stillness, I can move forward and into whatever life has. And I was like, what if the stillness is is the He's way what forward. is, is, yeah. yeah, that is what it is. And that for me was a huge revelation because everything was so loud it. in church and everything. And, and that stillness is like, if I don't have that, I, I have anxiety. I get depressed. Like I have to have that in my life. And so these simple things that are completely not even related, um, right. right uh, uh, okay. Or, or not talked about right in, yeah. in the religious yeah, context a lot of time.
1: You're touching something so important because part of the indoctrination of supremacy culture, specifically Christian supremacy culture, is that you are told that God brought you here, made you a Christian for a big purpose. This bigger purpose that is cosmic is this cosmic bigger purpose that goes beyond natural eyes. You know, it's it's a spiritual. It's big, and you leave that, and then you keep looking for that because what is the purpose of being quiet? And that's the the mix of capitalism, right? Um, because it's this mix of like this ugliness of capitalism because being still and quiet and just existing yourself is not a big enough purpose you're not being the big enough centered person you know what i mean The, the the protagonist of this story should not be quiet and centered the protagonist of the story should be loud and should be centered and should have the lights on them so when the lights are off and you're just sitting alone then what's the purpose of life internalized that is all inside of all of us and so we have to ask am I doing this for the lights that I was told I have to chase am I doing this for the for the being centered in this story or am I doing the things that I do because I want a better world because that's what's best for me because I have to be uh you know because I'm being faithful to use the same language because I'm being faithful to who I was created to be and so I don't that's why I love like it took me forever to make a podcast because I was like, I don't think that I have anything to say in a podcast. So too, me a podcast. too. Me too. <laughs> I totally get it. It's no. just a lot. What's yeah, true. yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you see white men being like, we're going to do three podcasts. Tomorrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I say. was just thinking
0: when you were saying, like, oh, we need to be loud in the center. And I'm like, yeah, and the most annoying person in the room. Like, that is what yes. they are creating. Yes. There's these very annoying people.
1: Yes. That are so (laughs) self-centered. And that's why in my podcast, I am intentional, very intentional about having conversations first. Very important for me to have conversations so my voice is not centered. I'm trying to amplify other voices. And the second thing that was important to me was I want to have conversations with people that are marginalized. People whose voices are never listened to. So to this day, like I have had, I think we have 10 conversations already recorded and I have invited five other people. And not one are people that are privileged, fully privileged, Mm -hmm. you know? So, Mm -hmm. so far, not that there are no marginalized white people, but so far I have not invited a white person because Mm -hmm. I want to center the voices of marginalized people. I want us to be in conversation where I don't have to walk on eggshells to have to protect your fragility.
0: Wow. That's so good. I'm so excited. I think like you, you have so much to give and you really do put everything into it and people see what you are doing and they understand what you're doing. And I think your podcast is just going to be really beautiful. I haven't listened yet, but I will. And I can't wait. Um, Yeah, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Well, um, I could talk to you for hours, Um, but I wanted to wind down a little bit and just ask you what is your greatest hope for people that are listening to you? What is it? What, what hope do you have for them?
1: Yeah. My hope for all of us is that we can expand into the most authentic version of ourselves together and individually, because we cannot expand alone. We have to expand mm-hmm. together. And I was talking to someone recently, because I, I, I get high sometimes, <laughs> and I think these are wild ideas, but I was thinking about our evolution. <laughs> so I was, I was very high, and I was thinking about this evolution of who, what are we evolving into? And you can see the evolution of humans. You know, we've existed for 200,000 years, but but the earth has existed for billions. But humans in the earth have only existed for 200,000 years. And I was thinking of of trees and plants and how vegetation grows interdependent of one another, but not dependent on one another, not independent of one another either, because independence and dependence are both unhealthy uh, community practices, but interdependence is healthy. And so what I want is for us to grow like a a, um, bosque, forest, that's the word, Ah, Spanish, Mm. like a forest. For us to all grow like a forest, where there is no limit to how big we can be or how wide we can move, and we are all different-sized trees, but our roots are deeply interconnected because we feed one another, I care for one another, and that's why my hope is that every Mm. single one of us is going to be able to get out of those boxes. I don't know if I can curse your podcast. Yeah, you can. But okay, to get out of those boxes that they yeah. told us we had to maim ourselves to be able to fit into yeah. and to just expand into the most authentic version of ourselves, whatever that looks like. That's my wow. hope.
0: That's beautiful. That, oh, I love that. And that makes me think of my dad. He's a scientist. He's an atheist. And we were walking and we were hiking and he, in California, or you're, you're from San Diego, um, or you're in San Diego. Yeah. The the fire had burned LA and so everything was scorched and he was just walking. He's so smart. And sometimes I have no idea what he's saying. And he just <laughs> out, out, like said offhandedly, Oh, did you know like new plants that didn't exist before will grow in these places of devastation to bring restoration. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my mouth. Through. I was like, what? <laughs> and he didn't, you know, just not but I was like, could I? Yeah. I was thinking about that yep. for
1: hours. And I feel like that's what you're saying. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because the the, the root of supremacy is the fear of ceasing to exist, because we think existence is about us. But we don't realize that we have never ceased to exist. We were here before we were, and we will be here after we are, because when we die, we give life to others. And before we were alive, we were already alive in the lives uh, of—I was in my mother's uh, ovaries— when she was inside of my grandma. I was already there. I was part of reality. I just wasn't consciously there. And I will be here. And we are. ancestors are the stars and vegetation. And we are all deeply interconnected. And once we understand that it's so much bigger than humanity, and it's so much more important for us to just exist and understand that right now my my shape is this shape, but I will, I will never cease to be. I will never cease to be. I will give life when I... Die in this form. I will give life to other things, and I'm giving life to other things right now. So I know mean, what your dad said. He's I, that's beautiful.
0: Oh yeah, you guys would get along really well. <laughs> I would love to see conversation between you. Well, thank you, Joe, so much. I have one last question for you, and then um, I want you to make sure to tell everyone where they can find you and what um, projects you have coming up. But in honor of Dave Ramsey blocking me and being just to make a mega voice here, I wanted to ask you what was the last purchased on your credit card if you have one
1: i do have one the last purchase on my credit card were glasses for my eight-year-old Aww. who decided to lose all of her glasses that i bought just in december
0: <laughs> that's awesome that's great that's so wholesome the last person i think was like botox <laughs> <laughs> that's great. so thank you okay so where can people find you
1: they can find me anywhere on social media uh and my podcast is called the living room with joe Lumen. and i am i like tiktok and twitter the best but instagram is where i post things that i do on the other two uh they can find me anywhere of those in any of those platforms
0: all right awesome well thank you so much joe um i hope we can have you again so we'll talk to you guys
1: soon Yeah, anytime thank you